Blog Talk Radio. We're
here. I take liberty with my coffee. How's everybody doing today? Special broadcast, Hemp History Week this week. Looking forward to sitting down and talking to my guest, Stephanie Grande. We're gonna, we are expanding I Take Liberty with my coffee today. We are going into video mode. Uh, I, am, I am looking forward to that. I understand that we have a little bit of an echo going on, so I need to figure that out. And it's probably this right here. All right, how we doing, Tech? We got we have uh, less of an echo there. I'm hoping. Sounds the same. All right. Well, we don't want to have technical difficulties. How's that sound, Tech? Are we good? Give me a give me a wave. All right, much better. I like much better. All right, so getting back to getting at it, we are coming at you here. We're actually in downtown Atlanta. We're not in the normal studio. We kind of brought the studio with us today. I'm looking forward to the show, as always, whenever I'm talking about anything cannabis, anything prohibition, anything hemp, medical, recreate, recreational. That's not, I don't even like that word. Adult. Adult. Hemp, adult. Um, so, of course, we naturally have current events like we always do. <laughs> and I don't know, I, there was something that happened yesterday. I'm not sure what the hell it was. The, the FBI guy, uh, what's his name? Comey? Um, C-O-M-E-Y, for those who don't know how to spell when they tweet. Anyway, I don't really want to get into that. You know, I don't. as I've told everybody, I don't give five seconds of my time to mainstream media on television. It just doesn't happen. I actually still read and other things uh, to keep on top of my news, and I also, of course, write it and broadcast it and try and be there. And I don't really have much to say about what happened yesterday other than it is really amazing to find so many people who are suddenly in support of the FBI. I think that's a new trend. Um, I've never seen the FBI so popular, at least not in what we call the mainstream or politically or something. The FBI just kind of is there, and everybody's afraid of them like the IRS. I guess everybody likes the FBI now, so we just can focus on the IRS. You know, I like to do that. So since it is Hemp History Week and since I'm doing all these shows this week relative to hemp history and cannabis prohibition, I want to focus on some of the things that have been happening in that area, good and bad, in order to lead up to my interview with the wonderful Stephanie Grande, or shall I call her Star Captain Steph. So anyway... So a couple of things have happened, a couple of things of note. Let's talk about the negatives first so we can go into positive. Longmont, Colorado, has lost its mind, like, a lot lately. And, and it's not the first time it's lost its mind. Uh, actually, uh, a shout-out to Ashley Weber, who is the executive director of Colorado Normal and also in the hemp business, also in uh, a caregiver medical marijuana business and all those wonderful things, and an absolutely phenomenal human being. She lives up there, and, and she actually was educating me about Longmont before I knew what was going on there. Uh, you know, I, I have a long history with Colorado as well, and, and I really didn't like what I was hearing. So getting into the nuts and bolts. So two things of significant happened in Longmont that was very negative. First of all, there was a raid, a multi-jurisdictional raid, and obviously when I say multi-jurisdictional raid, it involves the federal government. 
as one of the jurisdictions always. But anyway, there was a multi-jurisdictional raid of an alleged grow house in Longmont, Colorado, in a state where it's legal to grow. I'm confused. It seems like to me, you know, if we're going to go legal, let's, let, let's say police officers, Jeff Sessions, Colorado legislators, but let's just try this. If you're going to have a state that is, a, that is legal to grow and somebody is doing it illegally, why is the result of that an arrest of this person and charges criminally? Because when you're running a business that is legal, in, in, or if you're, if you're running a business that, is not, that has not gone through the legal process, let's say, now, I, don't, I don't need to get into the nuts and bolts of the legal process. I, I hate most of them. They're usually too bureaucratic. But let's just say I agree with everything, okay? So I, I've been a business owner all my life pretty much. So I decide that I'm going to open up this business and I'm not going to go through the regulatory process or the zoning process. Let's just say that that's going on. So your response would be, uh, you would close me down, you would give me a fine, you would tell me to be compliant, you would hand me a bunch of paperwork. I would have an administrative appeal process. It, it, that's just what would happen. I mean, pick a business, a restaurant, you know, where I could kill people if I didn't serve them properly refrigerated food. Let's, let's start with there, okay? If I opened up a restaurant and I didn't go through the regulatory process or I didn't have the, the food people come through and, and I decided to be rogue and didn't know what I was doing and, and I served food to somebody who, you know, that wasn't refrigerated properly, which, which it has to be. I mean, it's, that's how it's done. You would come along and you would, people would sue me and, you know, and we would have this regulatory process and this appeal process. But because it's cannabis, for some reason, you go and arrest people with multiple jurisdictions and you charge them for selling drugs. I'm not exactly sure what that's about because it's legal. So this is something that happened, and, and I have not heard anything about the follow-up. You know, the charges will come. You know, they've got to test everything. You know, there's, a, there's an evidentiary process that the police go through, and they should. Anytime they're involved with any kind of case, they are supposed to do the chain of evidence and do the testing. But they really need to get off the cannabis thing, especially in a state that is legal. Really, guys? Come on. So, we're, so I guess we're just going to keep feeding the animal. We're going to sue. We're going to go to prison. We're going to be. We're going to have bail. We're going to. Everybody's going to make money off of the backs of the people who are selling a plant. And for all I know, all they didn't do was fill the paperwork out correctly. You know, it isn't like it was a cartel house. You know, because the cartels already reported publicly that you know their prices are going down because you know the United States has decided to be intelligent, essentially. So another wonderful thing, and we're going to keep an eye on that. And another wonderful thing that happened, obviously my sarcasm is dripping, but so, so Radley Balco, who is one of, the, one of the short list of journalists that I really respect, he reports for the Washington Post, probably no one reports better about police accountability, good and bad, and law enforcement items and the courts as well as Radley does. He focuses on it. He's very, very good at it. So he released, he, he came out with a story, and I don't know if he was the, I, I think he was the first one, but he might not be. You know, Washington Post sometimes is not diligent on that anymore. But anyway, so Radley reports that a housing facility, a, a actually a housing facility that houses the poor, you know, like a Section 8 housing type place, and I don't know if that part of it is accurate. I know that it is government housing of some part, 
and the, the government of uh, the government of Georgia, the government of Colorado is involved. So, what they decided to do was to send all the tenants a letter, and in the letter it said that we're going to come around and do kind of like an inspection process, for example. <laughs> and either as a footnote or they didn't say it clearly or whatever it was, they're going to bring the police with them and a police dog. Now think about this for a minute. You know, there are some of you out there that would just, oh, so what? If you're not doing anything, why sure? Really? That's how you want to approach this? Really? Fourth Amendment protections exist for a reason. Privacy exists for a reason. So the and this is this is even this isn't technically even a landlord, but let's just say it's a landlord. The landlord comes to your door, knocks on your door, and he's gonna have the police with them with dogs to go through your house and to do an inspection throughout and, and this is without even any allegations of you specifically, this is being done to the entire community in this housing project. With lunacy. Remember, Cal, first of all, if people have marijuana in these housing projects, it's legal in Colorado. And this is where it's at, Longmont, Colorado. Let me say that again, Longmont, Colorado. So obviously, and, and then, of course, there's been some follow-up. I didn't do the follow-up myself. I didn't have a chance to. The people called the sheriff's department there, or it was either the sheriff or the local police, and Ashley Weber, who I mentioned earlier, and this is why I brought her up, too, because she also called, and, and they have decided that they didn't actually – uh, want to be there, and they shouldn't have done that in the first place. So that's a nice report. But from the reports that I get from the community uh, and other people that I've had to deal with them at various levels, and, and they're welcome to come on here and talk about it at any time, this, this particular housing organization has been doing this kind of behavior for a long time since, since the Colorado situation has developed, both from when they passed medical and, and that use and now into full adult use. In Colorado, so well, I shouldn't say full adult use, adult use. So that's a big negative, and we need to keep an eye on these guys. Uh, you know, the, the 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 posts have been going around. It's on my page. I take liberty with my coffee Facebook page, and on my Twitter account, Cup of Liberty, etc. And it's been passed around. I know United Coalition of Cannabis Activists has it on their page, and it's been passed around fairly well. And it'll keep going because it's a story that we need to make sure people know about. But that's the lunacy that's going on in this country relative. And, you know, in and, and one of the interviews that's going to be broadcast, I'm going to be doing it on Sunday, is I, 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 when I was in Colorado, I sat down with Mark Peterson, who is also under the gun in Jefferson County, Colorado, you know, the state that has it legal. Again, he is facing criminal charges and civil asset forfeiture, and he is a licensed or regulated or whatever approved caregiver in Colorado. He actually just moved from one county that went dry to a county that isn't dry, and then they still arrested him. Uh, details of that are going to be coming in the future, but those are some of the negatives that have been going on. Now, we don't only want to talk about negatives. We shouldn't do that. I mean, we are a liberty or a show here, and liberty is positive anyway. So one of the things, and I'll say this again, and you're going to hear me say this a lot over the next few weeks at least, probably even more than that because of the work that I'm doing is is tied to so many of the states now that have legal cannabis. And of course, everybody knows that I'm, a cannabis, I'm against prohibition, have been since I came out of the womb. One of the things that's going on, of course, is that the industry is, the industry is thriving to a degree in the sense that, like any industry, especially startups, essentially, 
people are getting involved, learning about it. And the thing that I want to emphasize about that, because there were so many of that I spent time with when I was just in Colorado recently, Ashley Weber, Emily Hyde, and I didn't get to see Diane. That's unfortunate, but I'll make sure and see her next time when I go out there. I love Diane Formbacher, of course. Um, Larissa Boulevard, Mark Peterson, Miguel Lopez, uh, Amy Dawn, the VIP, Millennium Grow, uh, Mike Ortiz, the, the 420 Rally, all these people I, I was around. Uh, I, I'm Travis Lippert. I don't want to forget anybody. And then, of course, I did a, I, I went on a grow tour at Dank, thanks to Jay, the owner, one of the owners. Um, it was really marvelous to learn about the uh, learn about the industry the way I did. Uh, Leslie is another person that I met who's in, who's another hemp farmer, and it was. And I kept saying and it was almost like an insult because I I didn't make the connection. It was my first time around the industry ever in any state, and in Matt, you know, deeply into it spending time with the businesses and the people that are in the business. And, you know, and I kept saying, you know, it's very impressive what I'm seeing, but of course I'm a business owner. Of course there's going to be people that are involved in the business, this new business, this new multi-billion dollar business that hasn't even started yet because of the lunacy of hemp as part of it, for example. But it was really nice to meet all these people and to learn about the business and, 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 I do want to say that if the government would get their head out of their butt in this area, like any other area, follow the industry. It'll take you right where you want to go. You'll get all of those wonderful taxes that you want to get. Uh, we'll, we'll change how tax dollars are used, which you know that's a big thing with me and Tax Revolution Institute we're, and, our, and our uniform tax credit legislation that can be applied to things like the war on drugs and all kinds of different industries you know, diverting our tax money to the places that we want to put it. So if the government would just follow the industry, it, it would really help all of us out here immensely because we could just, you know, wake up and go to work, wake up, go to the farm, wake up and, and get on the phone and just live, uh, make money, help our communities, Let's see what the benefits are. And we're going to get into a lot of this, Stephanie, because Stephanie knows what she's talking about, by the way. You know, I wouldn't have her on the show, damn it, if she didn't know what she was talking about. I'm the only one who doesn't know what I'm talking about on this show. So it would be really nice if the industry would just follow. I mean, I'm sorry, the government would just follow the industry. And, of course, I want the government to do that in a lot of areas. I mean, we have corruption. We've had corruption pretty much my entire lifetime corruption is, did not, was not born with me, thankfully, so I don't have to take credit for that. I do take credit for allowing it to go on. Our generation should, my generation should. You know, we're handing this off to our children and our grandchildren, and we, need, we owe them, which is why I'm not at the lake today. I'm here, one of the reasons. So please be mindful of that. And, and as you, you know, I want to help educate everybody on all things cannabis, all things prohibition. That's my goal. This way, when you go talk to your politicians and they come back and they tell you, what did Jeff Sessions say? Uh, well, actually, I don't remember because it was so stupid. I don't want to remember. It will cloud up my already senile brain. But, you know, obviously the things that come out of Jeff's mouth and these other politicians that stand against it and these and these police organizations that stand against it, it's just complete bullshit. You know, the, the, I am living proof that cannabis is 
not harmful to anybody. And I don't even have to be a user. I am, but I don't even have to be a user in order to be living proof. Let's let's talk about that. Every single one of us knows somebody who's been impacted in some way, shape, or form uh, by cannabis in their life. And let's cover a few of the ways. I've known since I was a, a child and a, a teenager, young teenager, and my one of my close friends, actually the close friend of the lead guitarist of the band that I was in, battled leukemia and ultimately died of leukemia. And one of the ways that he battled through it was to smoke a joint when he was going through chemotherapy. I am not the only person on this conversation that knows people who have smoked joints because of the nauseousness and the impact of chemotherapy when they're battling a cancerous or something that has to be treated with chemotherapy. We all know that this exists. We all have known that this has existed for a long time. So, as I've said many times on this show, cannabis has the medicinal value at a minimum of Rolaids. And Rolaids are sold over the counter in every market that exists in the United States of America. So is Alka-Seltzer, Brahma-Seltzer, and Tums, and all them other idiocy. So cannabis has at least that. Now, I had an eye injury when I was 14 years old, and I went blind temporarily in both eyes. And, and where I was going through the healing process and being and, and all of the, the evaluations, it was a pressure. It, the impact causes my pressure to spike. And the pressure spike is what the basis is of glaucoma. So at that time, 14 years old, I had this injury. I knew that marijuana, at least it was alleged, that marijuana helped people battle glaucoma. We know that that's, we are, you know, the studies are endless now. Oh, I shouldn't say endless because the United States doesn't do them, so they don't count, right? The United States doesn't do them, they don't count. But anyway, so I've known since I was 14 that, that cannabis is relevant to glaucoma. So if I ever did develop glaucoma, that was, was going to be one of my go-to places for glaucoma. I knew that at 14. I'm 55. Okay, so I've known that for a while. I'm not the only person on earth that knows that. So before we even go anywhere else, cross that bridge and say, you know, your honor, your officer, your politician, how do you counter that? You know, and where are you getting information that says it does this, that, and the other? I listen to whatever his name is. Somebody call him and tell me, call in and tell me the guy's name on the, on the county commission of Fulton County that had the audacity to say, well, I've stepped over heroin users on the floor, and they had marijuana with them. And that's why he wasn't voting on the decrim bill, or he wanted to pass the motion that it be studied. Shut up. Really? Just shut up. It's ridiculous. And I'm not even touching on hemp because I'm waiting for Stephanie to teach us. Okay? So she's going to teach us. So I wanted to, I wanted to just cover some of that because I'm tired of the argument. I am very, very tired of the argument. I don't want to have the argument anymore. I want to move on. I want to get the harm reduction. I want to fix the economy. I want to fix our communities. And hemp, the hemp side of this, as Stephanie will get into, I'm sure, you want to talk about the climate change issue that's been on everybody's mind since the Paris Accord, which, by the way, sucks. But we'll go with that as really positive. But we'll just say it's great. I'm totally into green because it's smart, not because I'm some kind of communist, by the way. It's because it's smart. Why don't I want to be good to where I live? What's wrong with that theory? And and all you people who are making all this money on destroying our society, you can make just as much on not destroying it. So how about, like, you go from this production to that production? So we'll get into that. So when the politicians come to you and do all that and the cops come to you and do all that and these organizations come out, you know, because when, we, when, you, go to, when you go to try and do these things with, with all these legislators, the first thing they want to talk about is, how harmful it is to society, and we don't want this available, and 
and we don't know how to tell the plants apart and all those other wonderful things. That's just horse hockey. Uh, who said that? Horse hockey. Somebody on television. You know me in pop culture. So I just wanted to, to use that as a segue into the show. So let me tell you about my guest. Because she's sitting way too far away from me right now. I want her closer to me. You know, you'll see why in a minute. So, Stephanie Grandi is, you know, has a long history. She's a military brat, uh, which I'm assuming means that she was an uppity young lady growing up. And, you know, she married an officer, so like, ha ha. You know, and of course, I'm, I'm kidding partially. Uh, but she decided to be, to be smarter than she already was because she's brilliant. You'll see. And she decided to jump into the hemp world, and she started a movement, among other things, called Indie Hemp. And, and the purpose of Indie Hemp is it's a true grass, quote, grass, end quote, grass, roots effort to identify the 25,000 uses of hemp. So this is – everybody needs to kind of participate because, you know, to count from 1 to 25,000, it takes a while. Oh, horse hockey is from MASH. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. It's great to have an audience. Mike is filling me in. It's 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 the colonel horse hockey. I like it. Okay, we're good. So I'm a colonel, and I'm bringing on a Hawkeye because, you know, he was very smart, too, and had fun, and I think Stephanie is similar to Hawkeye. It looks better, though. So anyway, so it's a true grassroots movement. So I want to introduce you to Stephanie, and I want to introduce you to the movement. So without further ado, Stephanie Grande, please come and join us. Well, hi there. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to meet you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, so, I guess we'll start with, who the hell are you? What are you doing on my show? How are you? Hi. I t- t- tell us about Stephanie from you know from the womb to I don't know five years ago I guess. Power generation, but also electric power distribution. 
I didn't end up marrying my husband. We aren't together anymore, but he's a lovely human, and we co-parent brilliantly. So he was responsible for the nuclear power generation, and we sparred in front of a lot of admirals and a lot of other people about the differences between nuclear uh, power generation and how clean it was in terms of a power quality-related design way, and what happens to that power once it goes through a distribution system on board ships, which is a three-phase on-graphic delta-configured power system. Sure. So try not to go too much into that, but that leads out to the other industries that I've explored. One of the other industries that uses the three-phase on-graphic delta-configured power system is the petroleum industry, upstream oil and gas for exploration and production. Also, the wastewater treatment facilities are going to be using that type of a power system. Any critical infrastructure is going to use that type of power system. The simple reason why is if we lose a phase, we can keep pumping. Sure. If we lose a phase, we can keep firing a missile. These critical systems cannot be permitted to go down. When they do go down, we see terrible, terrible, terrible effects. So one of the things that I've dedicated my adult life to is ensuring that we have a very clean method of electric power distribution to reduce inefficiencies. Um, and I, I, I find it odd. That, uh, that we lose so much power in distributing it from point A to point B. So it started on this thing of thinking, what about point of use power? Meaning that we use whatever is available to us in the area where we are. Mm. We're in an area that has a lot of sun, so it's fun. Um, without spending too much time on solar power, I do believe in the possibilities of solar power moving forward. But like many other people, we've, we're just not there yet with solar. So if you're a big believer in solar, please invest in it. Your house. Uh, nuclear has its, uh, has its upsides and has its downsides. Without getting too much into that, I do know that there are a variety of nuclear disasters that have taken place out there in this world. In those cases, industrial has, has already been used or being considered as a phytoremediative crop to remove heavy metals, wasting and toxic elements from the soil. Uh, we also have wind. Wind sprays, um, as long as you live in a place where there's lots of wind. Uh, the other thing about wind is that you only have so much capacity for each of your turbines and the land around your turbines before you can set them up. We've got geothermal. That's a great means of producing power as long as you live in the area that's been connected. Well, it's good to count, but, but it, this is good because, again, one of the disconnects of all of this is that there is an assumption about the people who are in the business. It doesn't matter which side it is. And, and as I mentioned earlier, I was surprised because I hadn't been around the business in the sense that, in the sense that I, I mean, I was, I was ignorant of it. And I had been an advocate for a long time, but I hadn't been around the industry. People need to understand that the people who are involved have had careers, have education, have a life. Their, their situation is based upon quality, uh, reasoning, extensive reasoning, extensive education. So I want people to know that about anybody that talks about this when, when it's available. And, of course, there are, obviously there are people who are in the business who learn by actually putting their hands on it and learning it that way. We, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to learn how to farm and everything else. So it's, it's important that people know that about you, I think. Uh, so I appreciate that. So, in the end, or, well, okay, so you tell me the chronology. So, it was, uh, my first attempt at a year and a half, and I was going to do what is, uh, 
And I, I came across some information that indicated that the first diesel engine that was ever made was designed to run on vegetables. And in the course, I went down the rabbit hole with investigation to see what is this that they found and how do I make them. And, and I learned that hemp was a viable in the past and it had very effectively been used as an energy input for biodiesel. Um, and I just thought, well, that's interesting. Let's look at that again. I wonder, you know, if it gets the motor high. You know, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I did, uh, as a graduate from a liberal arts school in southwestern Colorado, so uh, much to my mother's dismay, I do uh, admit now that I minored in marijuana. Um, and, and, and now you major it. Okay. Uh, as, oh, sorry, Mom, but <laughs> it just seemed like the right place to go. You know, uh, uh, my mother actually bought Twitter for any technical issues. And at first, of course, they both made yourself as crazy. Um, they may still think it's crazy, but I did do the work around hemp, and uh, that brings us to where we are here today. A year ago, my application to serve on the Metro North Georgia Water Planning District as a Flint River Basin Advisory Council member was accepted. I began my term um, contributing as a citizen to water uh, quality by conservation that face us here in Georgia. They didn't always live in Georgia. I don't know if anyone's noticed from my accent. I'm not from around here. Um, mm. I've been here for nine years. Uh, Trouble to find a place where I've been in uh, locally, but I've worked, worked, worked. You're working on that? You're good? I'm, I'm working you're good? on okay. that now. We're in Atlanta, and you're fitting in right here. So, well, you know, I mean, we can do lunch here. We don't, you know, we don't have to leave for at least the rest of the day. So we're okay. We do have to leave the dinner because I am uh, a fully compliant industrial hemp farmer. Wait, 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 wait. Hold, wait, hold on. Basin is the basin which I is being sued by Florida. 
Yeah. No, uh, as far as particulars about that litigation, I would go on record as saying I am not an attorney. I did not stay in the Holiday Inn Express last night. And all I can tell you. And you don't use Geico. And I don't use Geico. I don't use USAA. See? Right, right. That's why I said I, you know, yeah. That was a commercial. We can send that to USAA, and they'll certainly use it tomorrow. Uh, yeah. I got mine in 1978. Uh, that's, that's, I don't think I've seen a commercial that has anybody that long, so we can throw that at them. We are, for several generations. Capitalism. There you go. Thank you for all of your support, all of your So I sat in an exhibit, Bobby, to what was going on with Florida v. Georgia, the Supreme Court. And at the time, we didn't have a space. We didn't have a complete... Uh, we didn't have, uh, our, our, our justices were not completely identified. Mm. But we did have a lot of discussions about why the court Florida was basically suing us. Please look this up. Don't take mine. This is my paraphrase. Oh, we, they know that already. My listeners know to look everything up because they know I might oh, say anything. Check me on oh. everything, please. I mean, there's, just, there's a lot of information out there, and uh, these girls are, are, are uh, obviously interested. So maybe you'll find something as well, and I'll take it back to Florida. We have some serious water supply and quality issues. Yeah. Upon looking at those water supply and quality issues, it became pretty clear to me that from a very high level, we had one of two immediate options that we could put into effect in order to remedy the situation, or at least it show that we were trying to ameliorate it in some way, shape, or form. Sure. And that would either relocate Atlanta Parkville Jackson International Airport or consider some phyto and bio remediation along the banks and along the waterways of the Point River itself. Um, relocating Atlanta Portsville Jackson Airport is, uh, I, I suggested it, um, uh, it was quickly, uh, quickly uh, vetoed at any sort of Come on, um, really? They yeah, actually expanded it, didn't they? Well, the, to, to suggest that alongside the use of final remediation uh, was some of my part to help highlight the lunacy of, 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 the, of the vast differences between what we could attempt to do now. The mouth of the Clint River began somewhere nearby to Atlanta for Jackson Sure. You want to really, really scare some aviators and, uh, you know, hungry people like her naval They're not going to have it. So what happens is everything that lands on all those tarmac jetways did end up in the first rain right into the Clint River, right at the beginning of the Clint River. And then along the base of the Clint um, we also have a variety of aging septic systems. So please don't get me started on fecal count per part per million in the Now, perhaps we should go back. I don't know if your readers are already familiar. 
but you avoid doctors by keeping yourself, at least one of the ways, by keeping yourself well by the use of hemp. That's correct, yes. And, yeah, it is, as a matter of fact, yes. So I, um, I'm in a rare and unique uh, circumstance, although finding myself amongst more people that are like me. I am a bit of a digital nomad, mm. uh, heavily afflicted, afflicted with wanderlust um, and uh, location independent. So my corporate headquarters for my paying job, thank you, by the way, for giving me a job. I appreciate it, uh, <laughs> is located in the extreme southwest corner of Colorado, where I uh, spent formative years. The state where it's legal. That's correct. The oh. state where it's legal. So my farm is in La Plata County in the extreme southwest corner. Uh, my family relocated there after my mom took every semen map known to man and overlapped them and was looking for a safe place to relocate her family where she could go off grid. So my mother was a prepper before there was such a thing as preppers. Uh, mm. She showed me future state maps in the 80s that later on, I believe it was the late 90s or early 2000s, that National Geographic started posting to, mm. to show what would the coastlines look like if there was a significant or even minor raise in sea levels. Sure. And she was looking for a place to uh, build her house upon the rocks and not upon the sand. As a biblical reference, I, I, mm. I did grow up in a, in a household where we loved some JC. So, mm. Um, mm. amen. amen. So, hey, um, hallelujah, I'm there. So I was 17 years old, cheeky as all get out, uh, feisty as anybody could ever hope to be, airy fire dragon who was born in Phoenix. So we knew I was meant for something. And my mom consulted angels and psychics, and they said, my dear woman, she'll either be very, very, very good or very, very, very bad. Mm. We're not going to have a lot of gray area here. Mm. This is me being as good as I can. Um, no gray area. No gray area. Gray, gray dress. Gray dress. Not, not, not no, no gray area. area. Like no. Gray area in the dress. I do often right. say, show me the gray area, and I will show you where I can operate legally within that framework. So 
I went to Colorado last summer after I had decided that I wanted to be a part of improving the water situation here in Georgia. Okay. I wanted to become an organic farmer. I wanted to grow my own food for myself and my daughter. I was dating a guy who was a, 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 a wannabe farmer. Okay. If he's watching, that's what you were. And, um, he's watching, I assure you. Really, 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 really distressed people. by this, I'm sure. I met a lot of really great people along the way, and I did have the great fortune to meet a lot of people who were involved in plant sciences in Georgia at UGA's Griffin Extension office and also at the UGA Milledgeville Greenhouse campus. Sure. So I I showed up for a two and a half day organic farming workshop in Milledgeville, met some great people, had really no idea what I was doing. I just knew that compared to out west, I could put seeds in the ground and they would grow. And I was so proud of myself because that hasn't always been the case. I have brought some houseplants to their knees in my lifetime. Mm. So I felt really capable. And For those then, who don't know, houseplants do have knees. They do. And yeah, I, it takes a while to find them, but they they got them. I'm sorry, yeah, have you ever seen a ficus tree bend? I, have, right, I killed yeah. an aloe last week. It was unintentional, but uh, but it happens. You know, that's what happens when you wander less and you're not watering your crop. But there's no gray area. No gray area. Right. That plant was alive one day and it's dead. The there day. you go. Boom. I like um, it. So the first the first crops that I made, I put up a little backyard greenhouse and I grew 72 flats of. Mm vegetables in my greenhouse and I ran out of places to put them. I had, I had had chiggers in the backyard, Mm -hmm. which coming from out West, that was a whole new experience and the whole yard was sprayed. And I just knew that if I went to put these beautiful succulent baby organic crops in my backyard somewhere, they were going to be exposed to all this junk that I had paid to have sprayed on the yard. So I really paused sat back, thought about how I was going to do this, and that was great. Well, I live in Peachtree City, Georgia, and we have a beautiful organic um, community garden there. Mm. And I embarked upon what I called uh, golf cart gardening. So as my little seedlings, 72 flats of them to be precise, as they came to maturation, I needed to find somewhere to put them. So I would put them on the back of my golf cart, and I drove them back and forth from my house to the community garden in Peachtree City. Nice. And, motivation i like it yeah yeah so i just kept showing up and i i you know i told everybody i'm neither a master gardener nor a master farmer i'm just really good at watering crops or plants so i had a lot of fun learned a lot got bit by a lot of bugs and uh then before too long i found myself with bags and bags and bags and bags and bags of basil mm. i don't really like basil that much please what's the problem don't comment like if you like basil that's great it's all about liberty right it's just not for me mm-hmm. so i just had all of this basil like what am i going to do we embarked upon this thing it's like what could we do with basil? We made pesto we made i mean just, just like up to your ears and basil now i like basil right? so i'm familiar with that and i will never cultivate it again but i have a deep respect for those who do because yeah. we i ended up with bags of basil that were put in with ice and we we froze them i mean we, there's basil everywhere gotcha and i was like what are we going to do with all the surplus basil it seemed just as much of a shame to put them you know these seedlings in a in a plot of land that had been sprayed for, or, you know, with herbicides and pesticides, as it would to just let them go to, to rot. So I was thinking on that and trying to figure out a way that I was going to become this backyard basil farmer. And then I found out pretty quickly that a gallon-sized bag of basil could fetch me like five bucks on the black market in an mm. alleyway behind one of the restaurants in Peachtree City. Got it. The black market basil. You've heard it here first. We have a scoop. It's breaking news. And uh, I don't think the statute of limitations is still running it's on the crime. It's all paid guys. Right. Well, you don't never know about well, whether it's the major criminal investigation here. You never know about I these only, guys. I only attempted. So, yes, there was intent there. I only attempted to sell my basil. Well, the fact that it's attempted. Nobody my, actually bought it. The, te- the fact that it's attempted 
might in fact make the statute of limitations shorter, so you're probably safe. But if they make a conspiracy, I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job, but if they make yeah. a conspiracy, and it might, it might be longer, so we're going to have to get if you a lawyer. They want to take me down for backyard basil cultivation, hey. and I welcome you at my I like it. Set, we're, so. we're going to court. By Peach the way, city. Yeah, that, take, take built, me down. Man. I built the curbs in Peachtree City, so I know where the courthouse is. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I haven't spent any time there. Thank goodness. Good um, plan. Yes. So, so I, I, I made I made attempts to be a backyard uh, basil farmer. Found out that black market basil was not. I mean, I do have a business degree, uh, and it just didn't make sense. That was your major. That my major was in nineteenth century French literature. Oh, okay. And, and general business. And then your minor was. No, marijuana. 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 I'm just covering. Yeah. I want to make sure we cover all the degrees. It's really important that we we get all of that information. I, I, I moved to Colorado from Arizona. Mm. When I was 17, and I rapidly adjusted to the local conditions. Mm. And uh, my hemp farm is at 7,200 feet. To, to say that we've been getting high since 92 is a bit of an understatement. Yeah. Nothing against Denver, guys. I love Denver. Love you. But you're at 5,200 yeah, feet. You're just a mile above. There ain't nothing. I've got about 2,000 mm. feet on you. We do and a mile and a half down where you are. That's, uh, you know. So I, I, I turned in any desire to be a backyard basil farmer and moved on to other pursuits when a wasp that was bigger than my thumb stung me in my hip and like I think he actually penetrated the hip bone and as I stood in my kitchen with a frozen bag of basil on my hip I realized that my backyard basil farm had gone bottom up mm. and I said okay the relationship had ended even though you were I, using it medicinally I, was I mean using you had frozen basil on the thing that's medicinally, I mean, still no. couldn't make the numbers work. Wasn't work. No, my blood, sweat, tears uh, was worth a lot more than what. You still have uh, golf cart? I do. All right. I well, we, there's something. No. There's yeah. something at it. You know, it's always good to keep the equipment. It's very good to keep the equipment, right. especially if you live in Peachtree City. Yeah. Um, it's that golf cart yeah. community. So it, you know, it was lots of fun. It was great, and then my heart was broken. Yes, it happens. Um, Over the basil. Um, I let the basil go. My heart was broken over the boy. Oh, but, oh, oh, okay. oh. Well, it's another reference to you in case you missed it. Uh, uh, yeah, that's we, okay. We, in case you one. missed the first one, we're looping <laughs> you around, right? Okay. We're moving on now. Right. I jumped on a plane and I went home. I went to Colorado and I allowed for my family to envelope me and love me and tell me how special I was. And then I went to see my friends. And my friends were like, oh my gosh, you're back. Where'd you go? George. They're like, what are you doing there? Don't ask. I'm here that's now. All the what time. are you guys up to? And they were like, hey, remember those bags that you used to buy from us back in the day? I was like, I don't know, are we on camera? No, I don't remember any of it. They're like, just come see our girl operation, come see. So I got to see my friends and how they had taken something they were passionate about. And in the face of the legislation that Colorado enacted following the Farm Bill of 2014, um, I was able to see that, you know, these guys were really thriving and super passionate about what they were doing. And I looked around at the family farm. My, my, my family has a ranch out there. We've got land. Uh, and it's been in hay production ever since they mm. owned it. And, and before that, it was a potato. It was originally deeded as a potato farm. So I, I, was, I was talking to some friends. Some other friends came to visit. And that was the point at which I became aware of the three main categories of cannabis. And those were recreational. Adult use. Adult use. We don't do recreational. We adult use. Adult use. Very, very good. Mm-hmm. Adult use, medicinal, and industrial. And this industrial angle really, really, really struck me. And I started doing a little bit more research. And 
that led me to understanding about the first diesel engine ever sure. yeah, being developed to run off. Biofuel yeah. and all that. And I came across an article that was talking about how there had been a number of farmers in the Dolores area, which is another area southwest of Colorado, where they used to grow sunflowers for biodiesel production. And due to a variety of investments in real estate and at the crash in 2007-2008, the company that owned this facility, uh, they, they, they could no longer own it. So the sunflower biodiesel market in Dolores and Dove Creek went bye-bye. Sure. Now, somebody with a really, really, really great head went and started lobbying those farmers in that area to convince them to change their energy input, to change their crop input to hemp. Hemp does not, as, as best as I understand it, hemp does not produce the same amount of oil as what a sunflower does. However, sunflowers do not have 25,000 different uses once mm-hmm. cultivated. And that's what struck me. I was like, wait a minute. How, often, how, how long does it take a sunflower crop to grow as well? I have no idea. Because the hemp thing, obviously, you can get multiple. 111 days is what my that's it. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah, right. So days. That's, four, that's three times a year plus. Yeah. Well, and where I am, we, we get one. Uh, we are cultivating because, you're, yeah, because, because I'm so high altitude sure. and we do have long winters. Sure. Um, but that has an interesting dynamic on how the plant responds as well. So I'll, I'll get into that in a little mm-hmm. bit. So I went back to Colorado, visited with my buddies, reconnected with, uh, you know, with the Mile High State and, um, and decided that I needed to look a little bit more into what I could do to help our family ranch turn itself around as well. I had watched my parents you know, maintained this, this 200 acre ranch over decades sure. and saw that there was a possibility that we could perhaps at least portion up a section of that farm and turn it into something that could be a lot more beneficial to the environment, more beneficial to our bottom lines and, uh, and get us involved in agriculture. My mother would say she was a farmer all the time. She was joking. She's not now. Mm. So I convinced my family to allow for me to take 15 acres of our family ranch and convert it to industrial hemp cultivation. And I explained to them the same thing that I appreciate having the opportunity to explain to everyone who's here watching and listening today. Industrial hemp is a form of cannabis that has no legal, moral, or ethical dilemma. There is no way that industrial hemp is going to get anyone high. Uh, That is one of the uses of industrial hemp that I have positively concluded is thoroughly wasteful and useless. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that it's not going to get you high unless I have tried. I'm a little bit of an adventurous sort there, too. So, A lot of people in Nebraska used to do that when I was younger. We used to get stories across the country on smoking stalks and not getting high. The, the marijuana is really bad here. They weren't smoking the right kind. Perfectly worthless for worthless. those purposes. Um, and, and so I, uh, I, I got the family on board, and they said, all right, let's see what you can do. And, and the numbers, you know, really don't lie. Uh, that same 15-acre parcel that, uh, that I am now cultivating industrial hemp on historically would bring our family about $150 per growth cycle. We usually got one cut per year. We were using it to feed our livestock. Sure. So the potential of the crop that we're growing now and that same section of land is 750000 right. U.S. So there is just absolutely no comparison whatsoever on the price for backyard basil, hay, or industrial hemp. No doubt. And and that's based upon what production model, or does it matter? Well, 
Yes, it does matter. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, as I've mentioned before, this wanderlust thing that I that I partake in. So I am an electrical systems consultant, and I am consulting on five different continents right now. Um, it takes me a lot of different places around the world. In fact, just next week, I'll be going on my eighth international trip this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should come as no surprise that Canada has shown up a lot more prominently on my radar. Canadian farmers have been allowed to cultivate hemp since 1996. Right. Um, one of the things that I didn't understand at first was when I spoke with Canadian hemp farmers who had farms that were roughly the same size as my farm, they were typically coming back at numbers of about 75,000 per year Canadian, mm. which is, you know, a lot of farmers would be quite happy, mm. uh, you know, with those types of numbers. I'm sitting here going, do I tell them? Do I not tell them? Do I tell them? Do I not tell them? Mm. And mine's a little bit more than that. Why is mine a little bit more than that? It took some doing. Uh, but I did find out that there are a lot of restrictions, actually, on Canadian hemp farmers. Despite the fact that they are permitted to cultivate hemp, they are not, at the moment, permitted to cultivate their hemp and process it for CBD. This is this medicinal-grade industrial hemp-based product. Now, I did not set out at my farm with the intention of growing for medicine. I don't I, – I, I'm the energy girl. The pup princess, if you will. Oh my God, I'm giving myself so many nicknames mm. here. All right, it's okay. We're going to make sure they're broadcast, and Please, yes. you, ha- you have some new hashtags coming your way. You Excellent. Know, that Excellent. Pump, the pump princess. The pump princess. The pump, pr- oh pump princess is the one I'm I, going with. I, in, in a previous life, I used to run the, um, a, along with a lot of other dedicated volunteers, uh, for 20 years, the electric submersible pump workshop that was put on by the Society of Petroleum Engineers. I do know a thing or, or two about pumps. Don't ask me about my backyard pumps that are like half a horsepower. I'm up into the you know medium voltage. I'm a, I'm a I'm power. a I'm a heterosexual male, so I have a more moronic approach to that discussion <laughs> that we don't have to cover. So it's okay. Well, in dealing with forms of artificial lift, I will say that I do know Victoria's Secret, and that is another form of artificial lift. But when we're talking about artificial lift in this capacity, we are talking about deep well electric submersible. We were talking about pumps, but we can go with that. Okay, we can go with the lift, but okay. we were talking about pumps. So it's okay. Now I'm blushing, which doesn't happen often. I'm glad everyone's We can that try now. our best here. Uh, yes, we try our best here. doing well. I've lost my train of thought as well. So, okay, I set out, and what I wanted to do was what, uh, what I had just been told through a group that I've been uh, welcomed into called Awesomeness Fest. It's a wonderful event that's hosted by a company called Mind Valley Academy. If mm. you're not aware of it, check it out. They're amazing. I'm actually still wearing my A-Fest bracelet because – Frankly, if any of you A-Festers are watching, like, you guys are amazing. I wouldn't be here. Why aren't you watching if you're not? Of course you're watching. Absolutely. Like, like, I don't even know which camera to go at, but so much love. I heard this thing about how if you were worried about what you were going to wear or what somebody said or this or that, that your problems weren't big enough. And that Mm -hmm. I was called to action to do something that was humanity plus. And in that humanity plus environment is where I discovered that we really need to, as a society, look at alternative energy inputs. I'm not suggesting that we do away with any industry that's providing us with energy. What I am saying is that we need to augment them all and wherever we can use point of use. That is something that I am a huge advocate for. So what I wanted to do was just like all of these farmers that are in Dub Creek that I was being inspired by, I intended to grow industrial hemp for biofuel production. Mm. What this company that did that came in and took over for the Sunflower Biodiesel Facility is they created a spot right next to it. There was a, um, a shuttered concrete facility that's mm. now, sure. as it's been explained to me, I did actually go out there because 
don't just tell me that there's something out in Dove Creek. Like, I will really get in my car and go and drive out if you guys are, you know, if you find it. There's all kinds of pictures on Instagram. Remember that. If you go to Dove Creek, just put something there and let her know, and she'll come out and see it. I will go out and see it. Yes, I will. So in addition to providing farmers in that area of the world the opportunity to harvest their crops and use the seeds and the flowers Mm -hmm. for biodiesel full press, they were also now giving farmers an opportunity to have a double income on one crop sure. by creating a hempcrete facility right, right next door. Right. So the stocks can go to the hempcrete facility. The seeds and the flour can go to the biodiesel yeah. uh, cold press facility. And it just is a really, really neat model. I haven't been there since February. I will go and check it out again and see where they are. But being inspired by that particular story um, and that particular agronomic economic revival um, I decided that I, I also wanted to get on this. I wanted to grow hemp for biofuel. And then uh, my valley said no, and the crop said no. Um, I don't get told no often, but in this case, I handled it better than most. I didn't kick and scream. I said, all right, crop, do what you will. Mm. Now, I, I guess I should... But please I should understand what home. she's saying here is that from a farming aspect, we're talking about from the farming aspect, that it wasn't successful to grow that use it, it, it could have been. However, there's a there's a funny thing. This may not be happening at everybody's farm. I hope people that will you know will chime in. What my experience, uh, my limited experience, which one of the things I'm really good at is surrounding myself with people who know a lot more than I do. Sure. Um, is that generally speaking, when we talk about cannabis, THC likes to act as a bit of a sunscreen. So when we throw a lot of extra heat, we throw a lot of extra light at the crop. Um, whether it's horticultural or agricultural, mm-hmm. which we typically define the marijuana side being the adult use and medicinal side as um, um, as marijuana mm-hmm. and the other uh, industrial applications as hemp. So what we see in cannabis on the whole, whether of the hemp or marijuana variety, um, these are all blanket terms. You guys, I'm sure there's a lot of you out there know this a lot better than I do. Thank you for rolling with me. We're going high level. THC is the plant sunscreen, for lack of a better term. And then when it gets cold at night, the plant tends to boost its CBD production. Mm. So when we have a valley at 7,200 feet that gets cold every night throughout the 110 to 111 day growing cycle, what we see is a crop that produces a lot more CBD. When we look at it from a business perspective, I probably could have grown for biofuel. But the numbers made a hell of a lot more sense to grow it for industrial hemp-based medicinal-grade CBD. Excellent. And that's how that went down, and now I am a farmer. Now, I did have to do a little bit, you know, I'm sure that all of us who've either known a farmer, visited a farm, or eaten something that was grown on a farm. Um, And in America, we have some people who get paid to farm. Some people who get paid not to farm. And then we have some people like me who pay to have the right to, to farm. farm. And there, oh, there's that part. Yeah. There's so you're going part. somewhere else. So let's go. Wait, so I, did, I shouldn't interrupt you. Just let's make that flow again. So go ahead and say that. So in order to cultivate industrial hemp and be a fully compliant and registered farmer, a couple of things have to take place. You have to apply. You have to provide some information about the genetics that you intend to use. You have to provide a Google Maps of your farm location. Uh, you have to pay a fee. And now on my farm, we are, we are approved for 15 acres outdoor cultivation and 5,000 square feet indoor. 
Uh, and in our indoor space is where we're looking at a variety of different, uh, you know, genetic responses to varying temperatures and degrees. That's uh, really my farmer, Todd. Shout out to you if you're watching. Uh, couldn't do any of this without you. So Todd and Daniel are my buddies. My, hey, Todd uh, and Daniel. My farm buddies, and they're amazing. And uh, they help keep me straight, and I appreciate that. Um, so I, so, so that's, that's where we were, right? It cost me $565. Mm-hmm to the Colorado Department of Agriculture to become a registered hemp farmer in the state of Colorado. And, uh, and that's what we did, and that's what we are doing now. Um, we're learning a lot along the way, um, you know, cedars, all this equipment. You know, what we're really finding out the most is that big ag is not really at the point where they can support industrial hemp cultivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of the work's being done by hand. Um, and, uh, and, and that's okay because most of the people that are involved in it right now are doing so out of a complete labor of passion and love. Sure. They just want to grow. Uh, not everybody started out as a backyard, bootleg, black market, baseball right. gardener. Baseball gardener. Yeah, yeah. My path is a little bit different. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I, I made it a great summer of it, learned how to powered hang glide, which is really, like, I love to be in the sky. I love to be in the air. Power hang gliding hemp farm. I love to. I, I also have a black belt in Taekwondo. Black um, belt hang gliding. I'm also a certified diver. I speak three languages. I run an electrical engineering consulting firm. I really don't. This video is much. going on Match.com. <laughs> I am single. I am single. Yes. Throwing yes. that out there. Anyway. Total pain in the ass, but sweet as candy. Um, but yeah, so um, <laughs> we're gonna change this discussion quickly. <laughs> and that's okay, you know. I, I, that, that's the He's thing. Blushing you know, again. Anyway. I never had any intention of showing up in activism. I, I, you know, I didn't. These things happen. So I was in Colorado. So, so, so you mentioned activism. <laughs> yeah. This is important because, again, establishing the connections and the paths, the people, and of course, advocates and, and activists are such a major part of this industry. Yeah. So how did that part get to you? Okay, so I spent the summer either in Colorado or Hawaii or Columbia. This was last summer. And at the end of the summer, due to a very, very, very agreeable and amenable custodial arrangement, I came back to Georgia just in time for the start of the school year. And I had this naive idea in my head that I would take everything that I had learned about industrial hemp cultivation in Colorado and simply replaced it, replicated, and do the same thing in Georgia until I arrived home in Georgia to find out that industrial hemp cultivation in Georgia is not legal. And I said, that's ridiculous. That this here, right here. here, like that's just absolute insanity. You have it with you? I brought, I brought some hemp with me. Can I see them? Yes, I brought some hemp. Officer, just wanted you to know. Yeah. And it's, and it's live, and please bring me to court because I got something for you. Well, and that's an interesting point that you bring up. I would like a moment to highlight the lunacy of this, that possessing this and purchasing it in Kroger, which if anyone, uh, we'll get to the, we'll get to where you can find all that information in a moment. Sure. Um, I can go to pretty much any retailer in Georgia who chooses to provide hemp-based products, and I can buy a variety of hemp-based products off of their shelves without any issues whatsoever. So I can buy it. I can use it. Um, I can talk about it. I can take it out on dates. I do sometimes take hemp out on a on a date because um, it loves me and I love it. So that part's not going to be on Match.com. That part's not going to be on Match.com. I, yeah. I you know it was for a minute. Maybe that's why I didn't get as many as I should have. But 
that's it. No, I'm not on Mesh.com. You can only block 150 people, and then you have to hear all the right, 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 right. So anyhow, uh, but maybe there's like one of those farmer groups. Imagine that, that. You know what? We should try that. Oh, they already beat us to it. No, but I mean, like, maybe I could, like, fill out a profile. Anyway, okay. So you I come don't back have to, to be uh, lonely. I'm sorry. I come back to that. Georgia and uh, find out that it's, it's legal to possess, use, and sell this, but not legal to grow it. Manufacture it. You, I, you can do any. You can do, I, I mean, it, the, the restrictions on possession, sale, and use of industrial hemp-based products are non-existent. In fact, right. the U.S. imports as much as 60% of all hemp that is being produced worldwide. Yet we still, as a nation, irrationally classify it as a Schedule I controlled substance. So I came back to Georgia. I started talking to people, chatty, chatty, chatty. And, uh, and I, I said, somebody should do something about this. And then I kept hearing this nagging voice in the back of my head that said, yes, yeah, someone should do something about this. And you're someone, you're someone, you're someone. I'm like, ah, you guys, I'm talking about like me and my, you know, my, 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 my crew of angels that like follows me around trying to keep sure. me out of trouble. Sure. I'm like, leave me alone. I'm not doing it. Nope. Nope. I'm already doing enough. I'm already doing enough. No, 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 no. And I sat down on my computer one day and I said, okay, fine. If I type in something about him in this search window right now, and if there's anything at all that's anywhere nearby that I can reasonably get to this weekend, basically the challenge to the universe or something. Mm. I said, if there's anything going on this weekend anywhere nearby that's related to hemp, then that's my answer. I'm supposed to be involved. And I went to my computer and I found Hemp X Asheville. And it was that weekend. It was in Asheville. A buddy messaged me, Kenny, thank you so much for providing a place for me to stay that, uh, at that first event. Um, and I and and it just serendipitously happened. Kenny said, "Hey, I don't know if you're going to be around." Kenny and I are buddies from Sweat Lodge here in the mountains of North mm. Georgia, and uh, off we went. I uh, showed up at HempX, uh, smiled, introduced myself as Star Captain. The farmers were like, "What the hell just happened?" I don't know what she is. I don't know why she talks so loud. I don't know. I can't look away. I don't. I don't know what to do with her. So we'll just keep her kind of at arm's length. And, and, but, you know, I think it became very, very clear pretty, pretty early on to some of my early, uh, early contacts in the hemp space. That's Mike Lewis. I was a huge, huge, huge fan of Mike sure. Lewis and his brother, Farmer Fred and uh, Blake who put on HempX Asheville, just everybody. I mean, everybody's just fantastic. Doug Fine had a chance to meet him. There's a lot of really, really phenomenal human beings that are operating in the hemp space sure. and more maverick and, and, uh, early adopters than I was. In fact, it was their, uh, their stories that I heard at Hempex Asheville that inspired me to do more. And um, Mike Lewis does, uh, his, he's founded a program called Growing Warriors, and he's the one who hung the first hemp flag over uh, the Capitol uh, in D.C. Yeah. Uh, Veterans Day 2016. Being an uh, Air Force uh, you know, growing up with all the military connections that I said I did, that, that one inspired me because I realized uh, a long time ago that we send, we send these people out to harsh conditions. We send them out to, uh, to really, really, really undesirable locations to do really, really, really undesirable work. Now, I get it. Everyone that's serving today is doing so voluntarily. However, when we bring them back and they've been exposed to terrible atrocities that they simply cannot get out of their minds or their life experience, what are we really offering to them when they come home? Right. We're offering them a bunch of shit is right. what we're offering them, if you'll just pardon my language. It's we're true. offering them it's true. a giant 
bag of flaming shit. And I thought that's just wrong, absolutely wrong. And so when I saw what Mike and his brother were doing, which if you guys are not familiar with Mike Lewis, please, uh, Patagonia did um, a little 11 minute video on him. I don't right. want to watch it now because I'll cry. Because uh, it makes me cry. It impacts me. You know, he, he had a family farm. He had a brother who served. That's, uh, and, and, and long story short, you know, what Mike was providing was a place where farmers could come and dig in the dirt, which we know to be a very soothing activity. Right. I'm not in any position to say what will treat post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm pretty sure I've given it to two or three people, like mm. boyfriends or something, you know, maybe ex-husbands. But I, I, I don't I'm, I don't understand. the sweetest candy part. No. Gotcha. Um Cover that. Yeah, that was a that was then. You know, now I'm a hemp farmer and I'm a lot happier. So, um, anyway, so in order to to help the veterans that Mike had the ability to help, um, he created the Growing Warriors program. Patagonia did a movie on it, a little short movie sure. called Harvesting Liberty. Amazing, just the stuff that just yeah, it really is. You got to check that amazing. out. Amazing. Mike is a great human being. There's no question about Mike it. Mike is a phenomenal human being. His family, his babies, everything that he's doing. Like I get like a little well off every time I hear about him, and the people in the other room are clapping for him. They don't even know. Um, so inspired by Mike. Um, and I came back home and said um, I needed to go and get really involved. So I did a web search to see who was already showing up in the industrial hemp space in Georgia, uh, you know, from a social media perspective. And that's when I came across a lovely, lovely, lovely gal called Aviva. And uh, I've met Aviva at uh, the Land Trust, uh, mm -hmm. where I volunteered um, to sell hemp shirts at a no nuke event. Sure. And uh, I, I adore Aviva. In fact, I'll be speaking tomorrow at the Hemp History Week event that she's uh, organized here in Atlanta. And that's at Food 101 from noon to 4. We do have limited capacity. Where is Food 101? It's in Sandy Springs. Okay. So we'll, we, we, it, it, we can post links to that you know, so people can be Absolutely. aware. Food 101, Aviva, and her group, the Georgia Hemp Economic Revival Organization. So I hung my hat with Aviva and said, hey, can I help you? My name's Star Captain Staff. I'm a little bit nutty, but I really, really feel great about this hemp stuff. And I feel called to use my, um, my experience and my life experience, my professional experience, to lobby for the form of cannabis that is known as industrial hemp. Mm -hmm. my, my thought being at the time that there were enough people that were actively speaking out about adult use and about medicinal that I, I really wanted to use my industrial background to highlight and showcase what that industrial hemp, not only that it existed, and, and also point out that there was no moral, legal, or ethical threat in, in its cultivation. Use. Let, let's highlight that for a second. Yeah. Okay, so because this is important in the overall discussion, and we don't, and we don't want to gloss it over or run over it, because this is the dilemma. Yeah. So the dilemma. In, in, in the discussions with, particularly with people who lobby against it, let's say, the lunacy of the police organization saying, well, we can't support that because we can't tell the difference between the plants. That's literally what they say in public. It's, mm -hmm. it's pretty ridiculous, uh, obviously. And then the other parts are is, is the moral aspect of it, which really amazes me considering that most of the people who are doing this are people who have a religious connection. We won't call it a background, but a religious connection. And yet they'll at the same time drink, gamble, and things like that. So the hypocrisy is there. But even the people who, are, who don't have the hypocrisy don't understand that this plant doesn't harm people. No. In fact, if anything, it perpetuates the welcome boost the farmer's bottom line. It improves soil quality where it's been planted. Again, that takes us back to that phytoremediative statement. Um, hemp is also a massive carbon sequester. Right. 
Hemp has the ability to and sequester. I, in one of my blog posts before, I said, you know, what is this word sequester? Well, you know, it's like a $3 word that people use to make themselves appear to be more intelligent right. than they are. It means absorb. So because of the way that hemp rapidly absorbs carbon, carbon sequestration, and how quickly it grows, it is a very, very attractive crop to help us navigate uh, the influx of carbon that's sure. being put into our atmosphere. Now, you know, there's a couple of different ways that we do that. We've got these large facilities called carbon capture and storage facilities of billions of dollars co-located next to like coal plants and things like that to absorb the carbon there. Well, I think it's great, but it seems like it's a, it's a, an artificial process that's been designed to mimic a natural process. Always, always. So if industrial hemp and hemp on the whole has the ability to improve the quality of the soil where it's been planted. It does not require, I think I mentioned this too when we talked before, when, when you're ordering industrial hemp, you can literally say, hold the sides. It does not require pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, nematicides, like uh, hold the sides, like all this nasty business that gets it grows, its bark in anyway. waterways and streams. Yeah, it grows anyway. So it came full circle for me, knowing that, you know, a 20-year history of expertly helping to put more carbon into the atmosphere, a desire to farm, but also be profitable in it, and a, an inner desire to leave this world a better place than I found it, not just for my child, but for all of your children too, exactly. and everyone else, um, exactly. that, that came up with that whole Humanity Plus bit. And I, I, I fought activism for, for a while um, and preferred to... Uh, to you know, when we attended meetings, we met with uh, we met with some legislators. Um, I did did go with Aviva to meet with uh, Congressman Woodall, a lovely, lovely. Thank you, sir, for your time that day. And he um, he quite rightly said, you know, hey, I don't know that we can have this discussion about industrial hemp without having the cannabis discussion, mm. the marijuana discussion. And I said, well, you know, we can. And let me tell you why. Because the federal government has provided us a mark of delineation. Which, no matter how you feel about cannabis legislation or prohibition on the whole, we do have a pathway where people like me, uh, or you, if that's what you so desire, as long as your state chooses to enact legislation, which right now 33 states have participated or enacted some form of legislation that allows for industrial hemp to be cultivated within their borders in some way, shape, or form. And Nevada just basically, Nevada just basically stuck their middle finger at. Jeff Sessions and allowed for not just the research grow, but they are doing it 100%. Yeah. And, and that's really the way to move this. I, I agree with you. How, however, um, I would like to see a win for cannabis in this state. And, and, and Georgia is lovely. Um, you know, the, so would I. I think it's funny. The peach state that you actually can't grow organic peaches in Georgia. I caution anybody have an organic peach farm in Georgia or you're growing minis in, in a greenhouse. I mean, I don't know why you would grow organic peaches in Georgia. They don't last long. We're in cut. It's not, it's not great conditions to do so. Um, I think you have to go a little further north to get those organic peaches. But nonetheless, it, it, it became obvious to me that industrial hemp and people like Mike Lewis needed another voice. You know, a lot of these farmers are fantastic people, and the last thing that they want to do is be on a stage or, or tell people about what's going on in their farm or stand up and take action. And since... I was talking about it all the time anyway. My friends were like, shut up about hemp already. And I was like, guys, I can't stop. Like, I'm dreaming about it. Like, it shows up everywhere. Did you know you can do this with it? Did you know you could do that with it? Did you know you could do the other thing with it? You know, you could totally, you could take hemp out on a day. You don't have to pay a cover charge either. Yeah, it's like a cheap day. So you still haven't found anything negative is what you're telling me. I still have not found anything negative other than the fact 
that I am not right now permitted to cultivate this crop in Georgia. So going back to that meeting that I had with uh, with Senator or with Congressman Woodall, and he said we can't have this discussion about hemp without having a discussion about marijuana. And I said, oh, contraire, I believe that we can. The federal government provides us with a definition that industrial hemp is a form of cannabis that produces less than 0.3% THC. We can measure that. We can, we, can, we can look at that. Whether you agree with that or not, it is a path to legalization. <clears throat> it is the legislation that I am using in order to cultivate hemp in Colorado. Right. And I believe that Georgia could benefit from enacting similar legislation. And I know there's folks that say that it shouldn't be that closed in. Look, and I'll take any win that we can get for cannabis mm-hmm. because I think it's that important for our bottom line in Georgia, for our inland waterways, lakes, and streams, for our ability to perhaps enter into an energy marketplace where, where Georgia's just not playing right now. I mean, what are we going to put And, and Georgia needs coast? to play in it. I mean, let's be clear here. From the standpoint of there's a lot going on in Georgia relative to the environment and how their communities are structured and farming in the water. First of all, Georgia doesn't have natural lakes. No. Every lake in Georgia is man-made. And part of the issue that you mentioned earlier, which I learned about when I first came here, is all these lakes are dammed, uh, the ones that are large enough, and they're run by the Army Corps of Engineers, and Georgia supplies the water for other states. And I've lived here through a drought. Now, there's been more than the one I lived through. We are actually, as as an active uh, Flint River Basin Advisory Mm -hmm. Council member, we are still in in a drought. That's right, and I'm aware of that. That's correct. So, And at the same time, Georgia is forced to provide water to the other states under this contract that is over 100 years old. Yeah, they get super pissed and they sue us if we don't do it. That's exactly right. As a matter of fact, the last time this was in the news, which is when I did a lot of my research on it, was the last lawsuit uh, against, uh, I believe it was, Prior, I don't believe it was Deal. I believe it was the uh, Purdue. Because uh, okay. I've been here for both Tennessee? of them. No, no, it, no. It was Alabama. Okay. It was Alabama, uh, and and we were in the severe, the more severe part of yeah. the drought at that time. And again, so hemp brings a solution to this huge, massive, multi-state problem in so many ways. It certainly should be given a chance. Um, well, it certainly should be given a chance, given the fact that. It is a crop that can be grown that can provide a, a, you know, an agricultural benefit and economic benefit to farmers. The fact that it is being cultivated successfully in many, many places without the addition of, of the pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, nematicides that we discussed earlier. That goes into and the, water. the fact that it uses on average about one quarter of the water of conventionally right. crops gives us every, and the fact that it improves the quality of the soil where it's been planted gives us every reason to believe that hemp, if unleashed within this state, could provide us with a multitude of benefits. And, and, and this has to be highlighted even because, again, there's Atlanta, let's just say Atlanta by itself, for example, is involved in resilient, and I use the word resilient because sustainable has been hijacked to politics. But there are resilient models going on, and the, the idea of having resilient communities is paramount in the politics of this county, of Fulton County and Atlanta. I just spent a couple of days at Georgia Tech talking about that and how data data is used in that process to help that along. And Europe is has a massive data program going on through some various private industries. So the connection's all there. So Hampshire, because I actually made a comment while I was at the event, why wasn't hemp talked about at this event? Because it, it, it fits the whole thing. 
that has to be placed into the into this narrative, regardless of federal politics or anything. Because if we're talking about trying to make a the, the, this conference was about saving water, which is huge. In the I mean, we have things going on with our water that are just absolutely crazy. You gave you highlighted the dam situation in Nevada, for example. We all know what's going on in Flint, Michigan. We all know what's going on in Missouri. We know what's going on in Pittsburgh when it comes to that aspect of it and how poisoned the water is. We need to conserve water without question. And to grow something with so many uses that takes the place of things just to tree production alone. Right, right. You know, if you just use paper and you're in a place that can grow, Georgia, imagine that, because there, there are three crops that can be grown in Georgia Listen, a year. Folks, if I can grow basil in Georgia, then anyone Any, can grow <laughs> in Georgia. This is tried, tested, and proven. But it, it, from the political standpoint, for all the people that are listening in the politics world and, and from legislation models, there's so many ways to approach this. Atlanta is working on these things right now. They need to add hemp to the discussion right now that because is, it cleans up so much of this. I, I'm a bit of a, of a, of a, of a chatterbox, and, and I would like to really thank all of those people that serve on the Metro North Georgia Water Planning District with me for always allowing about 30 minutes for hemp on the agenda, even though we never put it on the agenda. I talk about it all the time. And that was one of the things that I spoke to Congressman Woodall about. I said, we can have this discussion. I think it stems from just a lack of, of, of knowledge. It is. That's all it is. And so that's what I said. Well, not all. Really, yeah. Somebody should do this. Somebody should stand up, use their voice, deliver a clear and concise message. I'm working on that clear and concise part about it. But deliver a clear and concise message that simply say that industrial hemp is not one and the same. And, and any, any, any threats or, or aversions that one might feel from a legal, ethical, or moral dilemma standpoint are rendered invalid. They're moot points at this point. And when people walk in the room from the opposite argument, that needs to be highlighted that the fact that their argument has no actual basis in fact. And, and one of the ways that I, that I, that I did that in, in meeting with, uh, with, with Congressman Woodall is I said, you know, kids or adults or whoever would have just as much luck getting high smoking Bermuda grass clippings as they would smoking industrial hemp. Right. So if made a plan. we in Georgia are not afraid of golf courses, then where is the justification to an aversion to a hemp field? Right. It makes no sense. It doesn't. It makes no sense. The other interesting thing is that even if Georgia enacted legislation now, which we have had two bills that have been drafted, right. uh, uh, Senator Pezold, is, uh, and he's uh, right now we've got HB 465. 465. Right. Uh, we have had two years, I believe, where, where there was legislation drafted. It did not even get a reading. So what we're doing now is making sure that at least it gets its proper time and that it gets a reading because, folks, we are already we, – we would be the 34th state if we did it tomorrow. Right. We are already flanked by states that are permitting some form of industrial hemp. All around, all around all us, around with the exception us. of Florida. Well, all Florida, of the other, yes, Florida, Florida has cannabis. Florida's getting – getting closer. Right. Some of the things that I've heard, some of the rumblings that I've heard is that, you know, Florida um, in participating with some of the uh, for, for government contracting purposes. Yes, I, I do have an extensive background in federal right. acquisition regulations and contracting. You mentioned that to me offline, right? Yes. Uh, I usually don't bring that on until after until it's time to negotiate, right? Um, but uh, Florida, I have heard a lot of rumblings that Florida is working with some of the groups that are historically underutilized for business. That would be a hub zone designation. Sure. Uh, whether that's tribes or, or sure. socially disadvantaged groups or whatnot, that uh, that there are some, some, some moves that are being made to help and um, 
uplift those communities through this agricultural crop. But, but we already have it. We already have it in Tennessee. We already have it in yeah. in North Carolina, South Carolina, I mean, even Alabama. Yes, yes. And, and that's amazing considering. Between Kentucky and Colorado, you know, they're really they're really killing it. Um, totally. I mean, just really, 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 you know, the influx. I think some, one of the last articles that I read said that uh, Kentucky was looking to increase uh, the number of permits that they were issuing to hemp farmers to like over 200 additional hemp farmers just this year. I'm sure those numbers are, are, are growing. I hope sure. that they are anyway. Sure. Yeah. And the one thing that's interesting about politically about Kentucky, for example, is, is you have a couple of federal congressmen, uh, not, no, actually senators, that actually sit there and don't argue about it. Now, what's interesting is, and, and Rand Paul has come out about this a few times, but uh, Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul, you know, they, they're in charge of the legislation that's in the way. You know, they're at the place. So ideally, but they kind of, you know, the, the DEA doesn't bother them. Well, Isn't that interesting? interesting that you bring that up. Because yeah. Chuck Rosenberg, the head of the DEA, uh, at the beginning of April, uh, yeah, announced a testimony that uh, the DEA had no interest in harassing hemp farmers who were compliant with the Farm Bill Section 7606. And then they came back and said that CBD oil should be Schedule 1. Hmm. So, so you have, so what you have is you have... A lot of confusion. Well, no, you don't have confusion. What you have is you have a government entity behaving the way it wants to. And they can go into somebody's life, pick and choose when they want to. They've been doing it for decades, just on this, just on this issue, they have been doing it for a long time in places that have that have allowed something to do with it. And if you move it to the cannabis side, you, know, you can you can take Northern California for example. You know, they had a United States attorney there for a very long time that just wanted to swing a baseball bat over people's heads that were doing legal cannabis according to the state, and she destroyed people's lives in so many different ways. You have. You, you have the Department of Children's Family Services and CPSs, whatever their, their acronym is, all across the country that are using any kind of involvement with cannabis in any kind of way, shape, or form as a reason to take people's kids away. And, and so you, you, this is going on at a degree that's crazy. So the DEA leaves this open. Now they're sued. There, there's a case. And just a couple of days ago, the DEA asked for the suit to be dismissed because the suit is, wait a minute, how are you going to say that this is all the things that you just talked about? are part of the lawsuit. And you're sitting back waiting for them to say something. What are you going to say? So what do they say? Well, you should dismiss it. You know, so the fact that they came out and said one thing and then did something else just shows you how rogue the situation is and how ridiculous it is from the standpoint of why, 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 why? Well, we can't recognize the plan. Whatever the hell that means. Whatever the hell that means. So what if yeah. you can't recognize the plan? Who cares? Well, you know, it's interesting because that's one of the biggest jokes that I've heard ever. Because the number one thing that the state of Colorado was looking for from me uh, in order to pass my, in order to approve my application to become a registered hemp farmer mm. was the genetics that I was Of course. For. So we, we, we start off with a... With a with they a regulate all sides of that. Right. You know, right. And, and if you guys can think of this, like it, let's say you want to grow watermelons in your backyard, right? You're going to have to tell somebody up front, am I going to grow the moon and stars? Or am I going to grow a different variety? Right, you know, right. I mean, we really have to get that specific on our applications, and and we did, and we are, and um, and and so just to make sure that somebody with a big mouth who wasn't going to shut up, who had, you know, a passion and a desire to do this, um, I realized that taking this message about industrial hemp cultivation just within the borders of the state of Georgia was not enough. That my path and my journey was taking me all over the world, and stories of hemp were cropping up literally everywhere that I went. 
And so my friends, that's Alexa and Pamela. I love you guys if you're watching. Um, of course they're watching. Thank you so much. Thank Wave. you. Wave. Uh, well, one of them's in Serbia and one of them's in Barcelona. So okay, we had the technology. We have technology. There. Yeah, I love you guys. They looked at me and they said. Are they growing hemp in Serbia? They were because like, if not, they need to change their job. They were like, shut up if you're not going to do something about it. And I love them for inspiring that, that, that way. Like, like really, Good really. They said, you Good know what? Them. We are already fans. So if you want to sit here and preach to us, that's fine. But Good what them. are you going to do about it? And on January 1st of this year, I founded a group called Indie Hemp. And um, decided that uh, I made a plea for action. Like, hey, if you live on planet Earth, you really need to know about this group. It's this really cool crop. I found out about it. I want to tell you, too. So my early supporters, I want to thank all of you so much, and everybody who's there today. Uh, you know, we started, I'm going all over the world, um, and I am uh, doing a guided tour of all things hemp. Now, I've heard estimates that there are as many as 25,000 to 50,000 different uses for industrial hemp. Like, guys, I'm not trying to discount you on the whole 25,000 and, like, up it to 50,000, but um, I, let's finish the first 25,000 first and then if we want to like do like the sequel I want you to know and that I'm going to need your help I can't yeah, I'm not going to do this all by myself and but. so everybody knows I want you to know that this is very similar to Tax Revolution Institute sitting outside of the IRS building in Washington and attempting to read the entire 70,000 pages of the tax code in that sitting on tax day uh, obviously we did it we need to do it and this is a, jump in if you know anything about him essentially what this is Submit a new use Please. to Indie Hemp. Please. Because this list is, this isn't just some flip thing. This is an accurate use of the plant. This, it's, it's a library, essentially. So, you, so let's prove that, it, I don't care, I mean, let's prove it's 5,000. Let's prove it's, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Let's do that and, you know, and then walk into Congressman Woodall's office and dump it on his lap. And say now, please tell me why we can't use hemp. I mean, this is the. I mean, and I'm using Woodall as an example, but he's a lovely man too. I do believe that he is a friend of hemp at this Fantastic. stage. Well, um, then we won't dump it on your lap. We'll put it on the table. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> we'll be nice. We'll have it delivered by nice people. Uh, we'll send lunch. Uh, and and well, that's what nice activists do. That's right. Yeah. We said right. We send lunch. And we're going to give you all the things that you need so you can go talk about it with anybody that you want, even the people who are against it. That's the idea. Yeah. The idea. So this is not a flip thing. This is I not am very much. By, by the way, I don't always encounter uses for hemp that I'm really excited about or that I really like. Mm. Um, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say hell no to the hemp broth. I had a hemp broth experience that landed me in urgent care. Um, it's better now, thank goodness. uses, and I'm not going back to that hemp bra. And you know what? Mm-hmm. I, I, I pissed a few people off. And one of the things that I learned about showing up in activism and showing up on social media and being authentic is that you're going to polarize your audience sometimes. Not all of you are going to like me. Integrity does that, though. But integrity like does that, though. I'm here to tell you my story about being a farmer. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it was a total circumstantial farmer thing that happened. And I, 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 didn't, I didn't mean to. I didn't know that I wanted to. I reinvented myself after age 40 as a farmer. So, again, did not see that one coming. And I do not like every single use for industrial hemp. I think hemp smoothies are disgusting. There, I said it. But what I want is for you to have the right to have them if you want. What I want is for you to have the right to wear a hemp bra if you want. Is this the liberty part? Can I, can I just, like, recommend, though, if you are going to do a hemp bra, don't don't, don't use the bath fiber and wash it before you wear it. They fertilize these fields with manure, and um, you can get really sick. TMI. 
but again, I'm better now. I'm better now. This no, is good. I, I do love hemp and biofuel. That's one of the uh, one of the things that I you know that I've looked at. I love that application for hemp. I love hemp as a carbon sequester. What's your I, favorite fruit? My favorite fruit? Yeah. Truly, Pick my one. favorite fruit is a mango. Okay, so you obviously love every use possible of mango. Love, love mango. So, but every use, you've never had a use that you don't like. Only like aware of two or three. But they have. Yes, yes. Okay, Except so imagine, so, so you're telling me is that hemp is like mango. You don't necessarily like every single use of mangoes, so you don't have, and mango is your favorite fruit. It's deeply important to me, though, that every single person that wants to know about these 25,000 different Absolutely. uses, and every single person that wants to benefit from growing this crop, every single person that wants to do it should have the right to do it. Again, there is no moral, legal, or ethical dilemma in the form of cannabis known as industrial hemp. My, Mike Harris is my listening. Group. Mike Harris is listening. Just texted and said, "Polo mango is messy." Polo mango. Uh, <laughs> oh my to, goodness! Well, I, I well, thought you'd I'll like tell you that. What, for polo mango, what we'll do is we'll feed the horses hempseed. There you go. See, so now we've we this is a wonderful thing. This is collaboration. But the reason I the reason I made that point. Polo mango. That's going to stay with me for a while. It's a yeah. mental image. Thank you for that. <laughs> So, but the reason the reason I mentioned what I said was not not to highlight that point as well, but in advocacy and activism, one of the reasons why we may polarize is on the basis of our own and our organization's integrity. If you compromise those things, then your message gets lost. You, you, you compromise is compromise, or and this is what's been going on to political movements all the time. They get corrupted, they get infiltrated, and their integrity is attacked. And they lose their message, and people go, well, just yesterday you said this, or you're supporting this, what happened? And he says, well, I had to because they gave me some money. That's not how how it is. Right. And so I mention this because you saying that is important because that's not the message. The message is there's no legal, no moral, no ethical dilemma dilemma in using hemp. And and, and on that basis alone, and there's no force involved, and so on that, that basis alone, from a liberty standpoint, constitutional standpoint, I'm born standpoint, let me do what the hell I want and get out of my way. I'm not hurting you, and basically. Not, and, and we're not quite there yet. However, we're taking baby steps, mm. and I'm looking forward to that next year. Real time. small baby steps. Real small baby steps. Again, I'm very, very limited on what genetics I can cultivate. Right. I, as part of my application to become a registered and compliant hemp farmer in the state of Colorado, I have to authorize the DEA to come onto my farm at any time. Right. So the DEA is welcome on my farm at any time. They are not only authorized, I gave up but, 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 the right. I but gave we, them the right we, to come and inspect my farm at any we, time. But we cannot, so they can verify my continued compliance. We cannot, block, we cannot go fast over that. This, this, people need to understand what's going on in this country. So let's, let's just highlight this. You, you're growing hemp. It has no drug value in the, sense, in, in the sense of why the drug enforcement agency is involved let's let the drug the dea is an acronym that means drug enforcement agency why were they created to do the war on drugs how does that involve them in the agricultural and the agriculture of hemp factually factually the dea is very much involved in or can be involved in my farm now we no i realize that what i'm saying is from the political sense right that's what i mean Logic. Right. I mean, I understand why they're involved in your life. Which and, is and, one of the reasons why I'm sitting here today exactly. saying, hi, this, 
and me. Yeah, I don't know that the DEA really needs to focus so much on me, but I told them they could come and sample and check out my farm so they can. We also on our farm participate in a voluntary, uh, voluntary sampling program where we submit voluntary samples from our farm sure. so that they can, they can ensure that we are compliant along the way. And actually, at the end of the day, if your crop goes over 0.3% THC, uh, it will be burnt. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, this is not, and, and I say, right, because I've known about this, and I'm glad you're talking about it, because, again, think about this, people. In a state where it's legal, <laughs> and if you go over the THC for hemp, it gets burnt because it's legal. Even though adult use and, adult use and medicinal and use. Industrial are all so I can't go and sell my crop that I wasn't growing that way because a mistake happened to the other market. Because we're stupid. I mean, I, that, I don't even know where to go with this. As far, it's so circular. Too heavily regulated. It is. It is. Well, it's, and, re- it's regulated, here, but it's right? regulated from a, it's regulated from a point to stop it. Yes. I mean, that's how they do it. They don't want this. I mean, this is. I mean, it's obvious by the regulations that they put out is they don't want hemp. The fact that for, for the DEA doesn't, for example, or the fact because if they did, they would just get the hell out of the way, not with some stupid farm thing saying, well, da, da, da. I mean, just get out of the way. There's no reason for them to be in this at all other than normal farming processes. Totally what are you agree. growing? I totally agree that there's absolutely no reason whatsoever, although you guys are welcome at any time, according to the, you know, the paperwork that I signed. Um, I, I don't see that there's any benefit. Uh, you know, the DEA could probably be investing themselves in something a lot more beneficial with their time other than coming and checking my, uh, my industrial hemp farm. So a question from the farming standpoint coming in from our listeners you were, you had mentioned equipment, and, and, and I and I know what you mean by that from the standpoint of I mean you know you can talk about irrigation fields which are talking simple, but when you talk about decorticators, so that so the question is that do you have a hemp decorticator? No, because they are in the market. They are in the market. Right. I uh, I I, uh, I can provide them to people that are interested in having them, but no, I do not have my own hemp decorticator. At this we need to help her do that, everybody. So we're, we're gonna we need to help that that's process really, coming along. And that's really what what my my farm partners and I are, are very interested in is bringing up the industry of industrial hemp so that it can be supported by big ag. Right. Um, and, and this is something that I, that I also heard when I was in Colorado this past trip. It's just, again, in, it, we need to follow the industry, yes, provide do. the needs for it without question. And, and it needs to be cut loose. And the fact that they have this research approach to hemp in all these states is ridiculous. If they would just cut it loose and let, and, and when we say big ag, I'm not necessarily saying let's have Monsanto come and control it because I hate Monsanto, but but I, we are talking about John Deere. We're talking about John Deere. I mean, I mean, that's what we're talking about here. We're, ta- we're talking one about one of the added benefits of being a farmer is that I get to play with tractors. Absolutely, like, and John Deere has got some really good <laughs> tractors. Yeah. Let me tell you, yeah, I think, I yeah. The hat, I yeah, let's roll over the field. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a lot of fun. We are trying to keep hydraulic hydraulic oils and things out of our field, so we are doing a lot of it by hand, but. I'm um, sorry, if you have biofuel from hemp running your machines, what kind of sense would that make? Right, I mean, you know, right. Saying. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, what we're, what, we're, what we're all in the, hemp, in the hemp space, what we're all interested in seeing happen, I think I do speak for at least a lot of us, is to see those support and to see the infrastructure develop simultaneous with the farm. Yeah. We do find ourselves with a lot of surplus material at the end of years. And farmers sure, don't know what, what are we going to do with this crop now. And so that's part of the group. Indie Hemp is, well, what do you want to do with it? The, the possibilities are, are, are really, I mean, I suppose there is a limit to it. But I, I'm, I've been at this since January 1st. 
And I think I've only covered like maybe 30 different applications for hemp. So we're by no means at the tail end of this. Of course. We're, we're, we're just getting started. Um, you know, very, very, very grassroots. I mean, it's, it's, we don't even have a logo yet. Like we're just outreach and telling people that, hey, did you know? Hey. Word of mouth. Hey, did Word. you know? And hey, did you know? And hoping to deliver the message in clear, concise way that will allow for everyone to make industrial hemp a part of their knowledge base to the point where they can then go out and repeat some of these messages and say confidently, here's what I learned about industrial hemp. You know, we're looking to inspire other people to see the same benefits of this crop that I've seen, you know, that I'm not alone by any, any means, Um, you know, but there aren't enough. Like again, in my, in, in my vast and exhaustive research on the subject of industrial hemp, the only downside that I have been able to find about hemp is that we don't have enough of it growing yet. Right. And we do not have any of it growing legally in Georgia today. Right. And yet you can have the stalks in Georgia. Oh, I, I, can, I can go to, um, in fact, some of my videos, my early videos on, uh, on indie hemp are, and yes, I do them in a Snapchat filter because you know what? If the older crew cannot get on board and change their opinions, then guess what? The kids today are on Snapchat. Do you know, I see their bright, shiny little faces. And do you know what I see? Future voters. Yes. Yeah, I see future voters. And I tell them about hempcrete. I do it in a funny filter. And it's a riot. You know, I crack up at myself. I crack up at them. I do um, hemp milk taste test videos. Like, I went to the Kroger in Peachtree City, Georgia, went right onto the shelf, video tape myself, purchasing a variety of hemp-based products, soap, Milk. All kinds of it. My house is full of it. My house is full of it. I brought all this stuff back home and did a taste test. Some of it I liked, some of it I didn't. We already covered some of the ones you didn't like. Yeah. Some of them I liked, some of them I didn't. You know, hemp clothing has been used for millennia, literally. It's just not my favorite. Farmers were ordered to grow it for, for. Hemp for his hemp for, hemp for victory. For, you yes. mentioned the navy. I'm in the navy. Yes. Your father's in the navy. There we go. Or your husband rather. Uh, yes. He's in the navy and 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 hemp for victory. Hemp for victory. Meanwhile, at the same time, they're running reefer madness stuff. Right at the same time, this is going on. You've got farmers being ordered to grow hemp Correct. because of World War II, and at the same time, they're running reefer madness videos and telling everybody that you know. Oh my God! Your white wife will go sleep with your black friend down the street if they're smoking marijuana. And God help! And, and it's just the lunacy of that whole statement just blows my mind. And, yeah, and it's, it's amazing where our culture was very close to when we were born, unfortunately. You know, and, and the stuff that's gone on in the lifetime. But yes, I, and then oh, and, and Mike, of course, did stamp back. Yes, you know, we know the history about Thank the stamp back killing hemp. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all of that, and 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 that's also a good dimension, of course. Thank you, Mike. So so yeah so. <laughs> lunacy. I, I use I, lunacy is a word I use a lot lately, and and I guess Me too, and you know. I, a smile on my face. I know. I, well, I'm, this is just I, silly. I don't understand why you won't let me. Talk. I probably don't smile when I use the word that much because I'm not only speaking about hemp. Unfortunately, right. I'm a little right. uh, yeah, they're wearing me out. But okay, so so, so we have things, we have about nine minutes left of the show. One of the things that I noticed when I showed up in advocacy was that I was incensed by a lot of the messages that were being put out there, the right. way that they were being put out there. You know. Um, um, there might be some people out there that would disagree, but I do consider myself a professional, upstanding, contributing member of society. Right. And I just couldn't get past the anger and the pointing fingers and all of this. And I said, oh, my goodness, hemp needs at least, you know, needs, a, needs somebody who's going to show up with a smile on their face mm-hmm. and be sweet and say, hi, my name's Star Captain. I would really like to farm hemp. 
Can you help me, please? Right. I'm not going to sit here. Here's my application. There are too many. There, there, there are not too many. There can never be too many people out there talking about injustices and literacy right. in the world. Right. However, that was not how I was called and how I feel called to show up. The way that I feel called to show up is to say, oh, that's nice. Yes, but I think we should still be able to farm this because of this, 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 and this. So I'm not going to be the, you know, the angry messenger. You're not going to see a whole lot of, oh, my gosh, I can't believe when they outlawed this or who did this or who did that. Right. I'm ever looking forward and always staying positive in making sure that this message can get to as many people as possible, as quickly as possible, and for them to receive it in a way that makes them feel good about receiving the information. Because to me, the plant itself has such a positive story to tell that I have chosen to show up, use my voice, because I'm somebody and I can do something. And one of the things that I can do is I can show up and I can be a positive voice for industrial hemp cultivation in America and around the world. And when I realized that Georgia was not the only battleground where this stuff needed to roll out, that's why Indie Hemp was formed, so that it could be a global network. Um, and it takes us to Canada, it takes us to Mexico, it takes us to hemp creek building facilities, it takes us to biodiesel production, it takes us to my greenhouse, it takes us to my friends' fields and farms, it takes us to the grocery store in Peachtree City. Um, it takes us everywhere. And that's what we're doing. I'm just, uh, I'm just oversharing my life. And everywhere where I turn, there's something about hemp that's going on that I wanted to share. And that's what Indie Hemp's all about. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And I will ask you this. In your travels and in your advocacy on hemp, I want you to come back and give us some reports. Got it. <laughs> and, and sit down with us and tell us what the last thing that you learned and what successes and failures, and, and I hate using the word failure, but the positive message approach is really important. The Coffee Party Network that the show is broadcast on is about civility and inclusion and messaging. And, and in business, you, you, you essentially just told everybody what everybody already knows, that we need to be able to communicate. I mean, we need investors in this market now. Oh, without a doubt. And the only way that we're going to be able to reach those investors is if we reach them on their level. Yeah. And I'm willing to do my part to bridge that gap. Um, just the same as I'm willing to show up on Snapchat because the other thing that we need is we need a new generation. You know, I was born in 1976. I was a product of one of the first graduates of the D.A.R.E. program. Sure. And I was mm. raised to believe that everything about cannabis was bad. And, and why? Well, because it was a drug and it would get you high and then your brain would look like a fried egg in a frying pan and that was that. Yeah, I remember the fried egg commercial Absolutely. thing. Uh, this is your brain on drugs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... The way that I'm looking at it now is that, wasn't it, was such a positive campaign sometimes. I learned it by watching you, Dad, any of you other graduates from the D.A.R.E. program. I just decided that, you know what, where are the kids? Kids are on Snapchat. So guess what? I'm on Snapchat every day talking about hemp. Fantastic. And you know what? I, I, had, I, I believe it's working. We had uh, six middle school girls in Peachtree City, Georgia, talking about hempcrete. And, and then their teachers and their parents, and then they look and they're, at their they're teachers teach and they them. say, it's ridiculous. You guys think it's going to get you high. It's not. It's just a fireproof building material. That's all. It, exactly. And, and So when the 12 and 13-year-olds are, are, are looking at the generation that's supposed to be educating them, and they are in a position to educate those folks, then I feel like we are making a positive change. And you know what? If I could be brainwashed growing up, then these kids can be brainwashed too. We need to reverse that brainwashing that told them that industrial hemp was wrong. It's sure. not. It's a welcome crop. We need it. We need it economically. We need it environmentally. We need it agronomically. And we need it now. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on to I Take Liberty With My Coffee. It's a pleasure to have you on. Pleasure to sit down and talk with you. It was a great conversation. 
and I look forward to seeing you again and advocating side by side virtually. The Snapchat thing, I might have to watch and figure it out. It's I don't know, but I, mean, I it is a clown house shit show. My Snapchat. I like it. I might laugh more in my life if I do that. I do. That, that, that would probably be a good thing, without question. I do. I do. I really appreciate you coming Thank by. You. Thank you Thank so you. much. So in closing, that was a fantastic uh, session. I have to admit, I, I learned as usual a lot. Because, like I say, I like to have smart people on so I can learn more about the world. I appreciate everybody coming by. You know, uh, remember the Coffee Party Radio Network. We have a number of shows. Uh, Greta Willis comes at you every Saturday at uh, 1 o'clock Eastern time on Politics Done Right. Uh, Janine Loudon with Lunch with Loudon on every Thursday at noon Pacific time, 3 uh, Eastern time. And then we have the Weekly Constitutional, which I kind of hijacked today in order to do this show because I'm normally on Sunday. Weekly Constitutional comes at you at noon Pacific time, 3 Eastern as well. Uh, a Cup of Joe. Don't forget A Cup of Joe with Coffee Party Partner, the Human Solution International, focusing on human rights and uh, the fight against prohibition is at you every Wednesday night on the Coffee Party Network at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 5 Pacific. Everybody have a fantastic rest of the weekend. I'll be back at you Sunday morning at 10 o'clock live. I look forward to talking to everybody more about hemp as we close out Hemp History Week with an interview with Mark Peterson from Colorado. Everybody take care. We're, we'll, we'll talk to you on Sunday. Have a fantastic weekend. I'm out. <laughs>